backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning, fading shot. Up, good for Giannis at the buzzer! Bucks win it! Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here for today's episode that is brought to you by our friends at BuiltBar.com. Don't forget, if you go to the website and use the code LOCKEDON, you can get $10 off your first order. And of course, today, I am once again joined by the longtime beat reporter of the Milwaukee Bucks with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, now the Associated Press, Charles Gardner. And Charles, we started our chat yesterday and went through... Let's say the 2003 to 2010 era Bucks. And we finished our chat, which by the way, if you didn't listen to part one, go back. You can catch that one. But we finished our chat with Andrew Bogut. But this really transitioned the Bucks into, a, I would say, a, one of the worst periods over the last 20 years. You had a, a bunch of guys going through the locker room, coming in and out of the team. Obviously, Monte Ellis was a guy that, that came in the Bogut <laughs> trade. But then you had Corey McGetty, Drew Gooden, Stephen Jackson. Uh, Richard Jefferson oh. was a little bit earlier, but but what do you remember? Because this this time I remember watching this team and just thinking this is a disaster. This team is never going to figure this out. The locker room uh, c- can't possibly uh, get along with each other. The, what's your, what's your main memories of of those? Probably I'd say 2011 through to 2013. Yeah, it was bad in there. I remember I gave you know in the player grades, and I didn't give F's very often, but McGetty got one. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and and you know Monte, you you want me to start on Monte's story? Uh, what what I always I kind of had a love hate with Monte, you know, because well here Andrew had been traded for him, and as a reporter, unfortunately, we're a little selfish about those things, and I was just losing one of the best quotable players in the NBA for a guy <laughs> who didn't talk, and I mean didn't want to talk, didn't want to see a reporter in the locker room, right, and. Uh, I, I can tell some Monte stories, but I always the one I love is uh, after he left Bucks and he went to Dallas. He beat him on a buzzer beater at the Bradley Center, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget Tim Man of ESPN. Of course, he didn't want to talk after the game, chasing him down the hall, and I had chased him too. I think I got one quote from him in the hall, and uh, Tim McMahon was chasing him down the hall. Uh, you know, and he was Dallas based. He needed he needed a story, and. Uh, no, Monte wasn't going to talk. I was just <laughs> laughing. I laughed so hard because I said, "Hey, that happened to me a few times." Yeah. So I was, and and the first time he came back and he was in in the Dallas locker room sitting on the trainer table, and I walked in the locker room and he said, "Charles, what are you doing?" And I said, "Hey, Monte, you know." And I knew he didn't talk before games. You know, he was one of these guys before the rules got cemented a little bit. He he didn't talk, and and he he looked at me and he said, "Charles, remember." I don't talk before games. <laughs> and of course I could laugh cause he was playing for the Mavericks. Then. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but you know, it was, but to the basketball part of it, Kane, you know, the Monte Ellis, Brandon Jennings, this was just doomed from the get go, you know, okay. You know, Andrew was traded and I remember I got the story when Andrew was traded and, um, 
I beat the ESPN guys on that. And, you know, it was getting increasingly hard to do, right? So I was always proud of that, that thing. But once Monte came, you know, they just, they both wanted the ball. There was resentment. I forget what the quote was from, from uh, Brandon. <laughs> well, the one playoff, he was just like, well, you know, it was kind of a thing where you, you just knew it wasn't working, right? <laughs> and and uh, it, their, their skills did not complement each other. And Monte, you know, wasn't the best shooter. He was streaky. Sometimes he'd get going on the threes and so forth. And, of course, Cummings was a little bit the same way. So it just it was not a good matchup. And the Bucks tried to make it work, kept insisting it would work, and it didn't. And, uh, you know, so it just, you know, I think they were hopeful, hey, we're going to have these two dynamic. In theory, they thought maybe it was going to work, but, you know, it, it just didn't. And you know it's funny you you said uh, Corey Maggette yeah and I and of course I had Steve Jackson too he was a he was a character by the time he got here <laughs> and uh, so it was uh, you know uh, and of course there's a Larry Sanders thing that came later that was that that was something but uh, it it was it was a rough time I remember when they I guess it was 2014 you know when they got swept by Miami. And they finally had gotten back to the playoffs, but they were just, they were, you know, out of gas. Team wasn't, you know, and that was the famous thing where Brandon said, you know, Bucks in six. And uh, I, I think that's why that stayed with the Bucks fans all these years, because they knew how bad that team was. Yeah. <laughs> and, and for him to say, you know, Bucks in six, that was like the biggest pipe dream ever. But, but it became kind of a rallying cry for the future. And, uh, but one thing I do want to say, Kane, is Brandon Jennings was one of my favorite Bucks players ever. Uh, and, and the reason is this. Um, he always took responsibility. He, well, I wouldn't say always, but almost always. <laughs> um, he, you know, I knew him too from the beginning when he came to the Bucks, so we had a good relationship. But uh, you know, he didn't make excuses. If he had a bad game, he said he did. You know, if he had a good game, then he was proud of it. And, uh, you know, he, he was also the guy who said after the 55-point game as a rookie, and a few weeks later, he told me, you know, Charles, we were in Orlando. It was just a one-on-one -on -one conversation. He said, you know, I think that game is a blessing and a curse. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he hit it so right. He was, you know, he hit it. It was a blessing and a curse. It came too soon. All right, Charles, before we move on, I have to tell you more about our friends at BuiltBar.com. And I know that you like to get out on the lake. You get in your kayak, Charles. So this might be a good snack. I've been saying that I enjoy a Built Bar before or after exercise. And this might, this might work for you. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. The 16 amazing flavors. And they're great for the health-conscious guy, which I know you are, Charles. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. And as everyone knows, we have a fantastic deal here for our listeners. If you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get $10 off your first order. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Charles, uh, I, I can't recommend this highly enough. Have one of these before you go out on the water and you will be just fine. 
mentioned Larry Sanders. And I, this, I mean, again, yeah. you, you talk about what ifs. I mean, for me, I, I remember watching this guy and, and his talent defensively, his ability to protect the rim, block shots. I was so excited watching this guy play. He was a fun guy to watch play. Yes, he uh, was. He, he signs the big 40 plus million dollar deal. And, and that was it. That was really it. And to this day, the Bucks are still paying this guy for another two seasons. They owe him, uh, I think it's $1.2 million a year. Uh, did you have a sense that, that Larry was potentially a guy that, that was, was going to uh, kind of walk away like this? I mean, did you predict this uh, from him, from being so close to him? Yeah. I mean, with Larry, you just didn't know. He, he could be... Uh, just kind of all over the map. He, was a, he wasn't a bad guy in the locker room overall to deal with. And uh, as you said, he was exciting to watch. He could block those shots and yeah. people come out of the And he had the potential, but, you know, to sign that contract and then on opening night to get in that bar brawl in downtown <laughs> Milwaukee and break his hand on the glass, I mean, you can't recover from that. And I think that just set this whole spiral. And, you know, he was a different cat anyway. He was, he was a Rodman-like, right? Uh, you know, he wanted to do his own thing. So you could kind of see that, Kane, that maybe at some point he would walk away. And, you know, he and Skiles weren't a good matchup <laughs> because yeah. it, what happened was Scott just didn't put up with that stuff. You know, if you were going to practice – you were, you were going to practice, and you were supposed to be serious, and you were a professional. You were supposed to do this. And I think on the other side of it, the you know, management had invested a lot of money in Larry, and they wanted him to produce, but they, they maybe took a little different attitude to how he should be treated. Well, you know, that created problems between management and the coaching staff. That created problems, you know, eventually in the locker room. I wrote down about the night in 2014, and I'll never forget this one, the game in Phoenix where he got in this altercation in the locker room with Gary Neal. And Gary Neal had come from San Antonio. He was kind of, I don't know, at the end of his career, but he was never going to be as effective as he was in that Spurs system, right? And you know, he was mad at Sanders, and he just thought it was not professional behavior. And then Sanders was had been upset with him for some reason, and they got into it. And, you know, they had closed the locker room, not let me in after a game in Phoenix. Well, finally I got in, and they were still going at it. You know, but they couldn't control this, this out-of-control two players. And that was the famous – night where uh, Gary said, you know, I earned my money. You should try it sometime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and there were some X-rated things he said that couldn't go in a family <laughs> newspaper as he uh, walked down the hallway, you know. So, so it, 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 it was just that was the dysfunction. And I remember getting that in the Sunday paper, and I remember calling the office, and we had, you know, early deadlines for it. It was a Saturday night in Phoenix. And I remember calling the office and saying, just hold on. Just hold on. And the Packers had a playoff game the next day, you know, <laughs> and, and you know what that's like, Kane, in Wisconsin. But, but I just called my editor and I said, listen, you know, I've got such really good stuff here. You just give me 15 more minutes. I got to have it. I have to have 15 more minutes. And they gave it to me and got that story in. And it was a, 
it was a good one. <laughs> yeah, even even at that time, I would say you know that that kind of that kind of thing is pretty rare. If you uh, if you get to see that, uh, the question I have for you, and this is this is kind of a broad one, but around this time and, and projecting further, at what point did you think, or or how concerned were you that the Bucks were going to leave Milwaukee? Well, I think there was that concern uh, earlier with the Michael Jordan, um, you know, possibility. And uh, so Cole, basically, the way I understand, that's a little before I came in, but um, Senator Cole basically, you know, on the early one, wasn't going to have the team leave for Las Vegas or wherever it might have gone before Michael eventually got involved with the uh with the Charlotte franchise, right? And then what you're talking about before Mark Lassery and Wes Edens came in, uh, I, I think that the important thing there, King, was that Herb Cole had a really good relationship with David Stern. And this might have saved the Bucks for Milwaukee more than anything uh, because they had a good relationship. And Stern you know, he's a businessman. If the Bucks were going to have to leave, they were going to have to leave. They were, they, the NBA certainly wanted a new arena, but they were giving uh, Senator Cole the time to figure it out, right? And say, what can you do? Can we, can we find, and maybe even helped a little bit in finding these guys, right? And uh, then to get Edens and Lassery to come in, it was a huge boost, you know, to the whole community that the team would stay. There was certainly a chance it would go to, you know, there were those rumors about Seattle forever. And that that could have been a possibility, uh, certainly had a new arena not been in the works. So the new arena was was a must in the, in the eyes of the NBA. So that was, and of course, there was some opposition. There was opposition in the state to it and then it was a a, a a huge boost i i think to the franchise and of course things changed dramatically jason kidd came in uh you know changed things around i think he gave them i think whatever you think about jason kidd and uh i i worked well with him i thought but he the thing about jason was he he was a known nba uh personality <laughs> whatever as a player you know starting as a coach he was still a young coach and but he gave the bucks uh some credibility in the eyes of a lot of nba people i think i, I remember we'd go to new york and you know of course jason's always a big story in new york and there would just be lines of reporters out there and that wouldn't happen just for any bucks coach so and of course we know he helped Giannis quite a bit to develop as a player. So uh, all those things, the new ownership, it was, it was all good. But would they have moved in answer to your question? I mean, if there had not been a new arena, then there would have been a change. Uh, so now we can get to Giannis. And I always say this when people ask me to describe what Giannis is like from a, from a work point of view. And I say, well, he's extremely polite. Uh, he doesn't necessarily like doing media. If it was up to him, he would come to practice, practice, go home, hang out with his family. Same, 
uh, with the with the game. He wouldn't speak to anyone if he didn't have to. But he's always polite, always friendly, always has a smile on his face, uh, particularly after a win, I should say. So when he comes in as a rookie, what was he like then? Because obviously uh, he looked very different to what he does now. But oh, what, was wow. he, what was he like as a shy teenager coming in? He, uh, I'll tell you, Kane. He he just was so skinny. When I see those pictures, <laughs> it just you know it just blows your mind to think. And I do remember that. And uh, well, you know, he was he was uh, fun to work with. Uh, obviously, the players had fun with him. You know, he comes in that rookie season and they won 15 games. But Giannis himself has said, you know, in a way that was a blessing because he he got to play. Larry Drew did play him. Uh, you know, Larry Drew's one season <laughs> as the Bucks coach. And, of course, they were a terrible team, had a ton of injuries, but they were terrible anyway. And, uh, you know, it wasn't just about the injuries. <laughs> uh, and Giannis did have a chance to play. And, and then when Jason came in, you know, that development, I think, but he, but Larry Drew helped him too. You got to say, you know, he helped him. The, the, they weren't winning many games. And, and so Giannis got to play. I, I, I remember he was just fascinated by so many things about American culture. You know, we go back to, there's that famous story about how he loved the smoothies, you know, the things that were just new in, in America. And he was just learning about the NBA. Um, you know, he didn't have the background of growing the states and knowing how the NBA operated and everything was was new to him and he was very fresh he was you know he was a, I think the reason he and I have such a good relationship is we I was there when he came and so I always say that that was like about Andrew and that was like about Brandon when when you start with a player at the beginning of the career they they get to know you and it's a real advantage, <laughs> I always found, yeah. as a beat writer, if you get to know somebody, you know, from the start of their career, as opposed to them coming in on a trade halfway through their career, <laughs> when when they've already uh, formed a lot of opinions. So, uh, and, you know, you've seen Kane Giannis to this day, if I come in working for the AP, yeah. acknowledge and say, hey, Charles, you know. And, and, <laughs> He does. He definitely, yeah. he definitely does yeah. that, which is, which is always funny. Right. To see. It's always nice to see, though. And that's what I'm talking about. He is, he is always respectful. The one, he is. He the is. one incident. And, and he and I, he, Kane, he and I have had some uh, issues. So, you know, it's not like we never had an issue. And, <laughs> and, you know, I remember a game after a game against Miami, he had done some dunk in the game that was just crazy. And I knew it was, of course, we know he's done this, but and I knew it was going to be on Sports Center, and I and I really didn't need it that much, but I wanted to ask him a question about that dunk, right? And I had asked Dan Smichek, you know, hey, is Giannis? Well, he wasn't talking tonight, you know, what you said. Some nights he didn't want to talk. And for whatever reason on this night, I got mad about it. <laughs> and, and it's not that I really needed it that bad, but I just thought, hey, I want to ask him one question about the dunk. You know, there was a hey, it was going to be an easy question, right? So, well, and he was out signing something for somebody out on the court. And when he came back in the hallway, I just, I came after it. You know, I was like, Giannis, come on, man. You know, and there, there might have been a few expletives said in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, 
and uh, you know, but but he appreciated. It. He knew I was doing my job. You know, he knew I was always trying to do my job, and uh, and uh, we we had a good, healthy relationship. But I I do think since I retired, and you know, I would come back occasionally and see you guys and, and work for the Associated Press. You know, you see that he's really matured and. With his MVP status, he has to handle all these things. And uh, I, you know, I covered his first All Star game. I think it was his first one. Yeah, the first one in New Orleans before I retired. And I think big moment because all the Greek reporters were over there. I mean, the reporters from all over the world, right? And this was before he's choosing the All Star teams, <laughs> you know, his teammates as he's done now for the last couple of years. <laughs> But it was just something that he'd made it to that stage. He'd made it to the All-Star game. And uh, I, I think that was a really good experience, too, to help him develop in. All those things are in handling. Yeah, and, uh, but, but, no, I, I, I really enjoyed Giannis. And the, what a great story, uh, you know, for Milwaukee and really for the, for the world, really, <laughs> when, yeah. when you think about you know, when you saw him make his acceptance speech of the MVP, like if you if you aren't moved by that, then you know that that's really something. And uh, he just showed his honest emotions about it. And and uh, he does. I also think Kane, you've seen him in those drums. He tries to give a thoughtful answer. Often he will he will give you something that you're really not even thinking about, and be like, oh yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so he does, he does, uh, give, give some thoughtful answers. And, uh, you know, I, the, the one thing I also love Thanasis, I, I always tell this story when Giannis got drafted and of course it surprised all of us that they kept it a secret and, uh, that was important so that Atlanta, there were a few other teams remember that were, were looking in on his talents. And of course, uh, I remember going in for the press conference when they introduced Giannis and he was, you talk about how was he in 2013 and, you know, very shy, skinny. And and I remember thinking, how am I going to get this good story about this? I really need something. Well, Thanasis was there, you know, representing the family. And I talked to him and of course he was older, well-spoken. And uh, I got this, what I thought was a good story uh, talking to Thanasis. So I always, you know, always kept in touch with him after that when he was playing in Europe or he was playing for the Knicks and uh, always loved Thanasis too. And, you know, that, that he winds up on the team this year and they had such a great year is, is kind of some justice, I guess. So there's one Giannis and I could ask you a million questions about Giannis and, and all the, the great things he's done over the last few years. But the one incident that I, I want to ask you about, and I was also there, I was there as a fan, I was at this game and you talk about going into a game six excited about what could potentially happen. I was ready to, I was already ready to go to Chicago for game seven. I was, I was fired up. I didn't think there was any chance the Bucks were going to lose this game. Well, uh, in the end, they lose by 54 points, but the Giannis Giannis Dunleavy incident. uh, What do you remember about covering that game? Because at that point, the the game was over. I mean, you knew the Bucks could not come back. I think they were down about 28 points at that point. Uh, what do you remember about that incident that night and I guess the fallout for that from, from Giannis? Well, what I remember, you know, Mike Dunleavy had played for the Bucks and, yeah. and uh, was always a great quote and a great veteran. And, you know, but he was wily. 
<laughs> he was, you know, that's he wasn't a, that's afraid. That's an interesting to, word. Interesting word, Charles. <laughs> right. He, he was, well, yeah, he was dirty sometimes. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And, there, right. And that night he was, I'm convinced. Yeah. Like that was just a cheap shot, right? And, and you know, after the game, I was the one who asked Dunleavy about it. No, no, you know, it's nothing on purpose, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, he just knew that that maybe he could take the bucks out of it, you know. And I and I think Giannis reacted. I do think in the long run, Giannis doing that, uh, you know, in the long run, that was maybe good. <laughs> it, it it didn't help that night, obviously. And as you said, they were just getting crushed. We all thought maybe they were going to get that game six after they played so well in Chicago. That game five in Chicago was was yeah. a tremendous game that they had played. And uh, but I think in the long run, people were like, "Hey, you know, it's it's like uh, in the Jordan thing the other night." He said when he got in the fight with Steve Kerr, that Steve Kerr stood up for himself, right? Well, well, this was kind of the same thing. Giannis stood up for his teammate. He and Michael Carter Williams, who Dunleavy uh, popped, right? They were good friends, and Giannis just wasn't going to have it. You know, so he was sticking up for a teammate, right? And so I think in the end, uh, that was something that was, I, I think I said at the time, Matt Velasquez and I covered the game together that night. And I think we talked about it. I said, well, hey, you know, it, down the road, that's going to probably augur well for Giannis because he stuck up for his teammate. But that, that night, of course, he got tossed and he got baited by Dunleavy and it probably wasn't the smartest thing to do, obviously, but it was understandable. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it was understandable. <laughs> so I have, uh, uh, I have a couple to, to wrap this up. And, and this, is, this is more about your time. And you know, when you're covering a team for so long, you're going to write stories. There's going to be a time that potentially you write something that, that maybe the team doesn't want. I'm wondering if there's ever a time where you've reported something or told a story that you got yourself in, in, in trouble with the Bucs. Let's say that. Oh yeah. Oh, well, that always happens. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, I don't say it happens every day, but of course that happens. And I remember John Hammond calling me a couple times and saying, Charles, you know, you're just wrong. You're wrong. on This This is, you know, this is, this is wrong. And, uh, and I, I know there were a couple things, uh, you know, that the, uh, they had chosen, uh, that Joe Alexander in the draft. And that was, you know, the number eight overall pick. And he had turned out to be such a bust and that really kind of set them back. And, uh, I think there were, there were some, some things about that. You know, there were things about Sanders. You, 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 you go back to Sanders. That was probably, he was the source of some of those things came where, you know, Hey, they were trying to protect him. I, I had written something wrong. That wasn't true. You know, uh, and, and usually it turned out to be uh, something that was was a problem. But uh, uh, Sanders was probably part of the, those those things. I I know sometimes uh, injury that you know you know how NBA teams are about injuries, Kane, yeah. and that could be a source of some uh, arguments between the reporters and uh, and the team. 
one reason we loved uh, Andrew so much <laughs> exactly. was he, he just told you what his injury was. He didn't, he didn't wait for the team to tell you. He just told you, and he was honest about it. And then they couldn't do anything about that, see. The, the one I remember a little bit, uh, Kane, was Carlos Delfino got a concussion mm. that one season, and it was bad. I mean, you know, he, he told me later that he couldn't even ride in a car you know, without just think, thinking every car was going to hit him. And, you know, I mean, there were really bad uh that he had. And, of course, the team didn't really want – that's understandable. They didn't want all that out there. But we were trying to find out what was the case. He was a key part of the team, and he was down for a long time. And so I think that, that you know, sometimes be, becomes a stress between reporters and the team and uh and and i remember that that one was and finally when you know carlos was able to discuss his situation he was he was quite honest about it and but you know it had been a long time where where i was thinking hey you know we have to have more information on this and trying to press the team for that so but yeah i remember a few late night phone calls right uh <laughs> One one way or the other. But I have to say, I had a good relationship with both GMs. And, uh, you know, I feel they kept me in the loop. Um, you know that as time went on, uh, the NBA became much more difficult for beat writers to deal with. They had their partnerships with ESPN and, and all these other places. And they, they get stories, you know. And uh, it was always a source of frustration to me. Uh, this happens in all sports now, but, you know, to see those stories broken in the old days, uh, the, the newspaper reporters broke more, more of those stories. And uh, I'm pretty proud that I got a lot of those stories. <laughs> you know, I know in 07 when, when the Bucks finally signed E. Jin, Jin Lien after they had picked him sixth in the draft, he was another bust, but he was uh, – uh, he was, as you recall, you know, and I had gotten that story that they had signed him in Hong Kong, even though his agent had returned none of my calls the entire summer. And, uh, you know, and Senator Cole had gone over to Hong Kong to sign him. So, uh, but that that's part of the fun of the beat and that stuff. I've, I I had a great time. I wouldn't give give that up for anything. And, you, you know, when, when you think back about, about some of the the great the great things you got to see uh you know it's 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 really it's really fun i had written down that when the bucks ended the golden state 24 game winning streak i'd forgotten about that one or uh or jennings 55 point game michael red had a 57 point game and the thing about michael red's game is jerry sloan so smart as he was is when the Bucks tied it in the final seconds. He didn't take a timeout, and Utah came down and scored the winning basket, right? And and kind of spoiled the night in a way. And that was just the smarts of Jerry Sloan. And, uh, you know, Michael had 57, but looked like it was going to overtime, and instead he just didn't call timeout. I think there were three or four seconds left, and they went down and scored just an easy basket. <laughs> so those are kind of some of the things um, that that you remember. But, uh, you know, you're talking about Giannis for the night when Kobe's was Kobe's last game at the Bradley Center. And then Giannis had his first triple-double and got to go in and meet with Kobe in the Lakers locker room for like 20 minutes. 
So there's there's some great great things and some great players. Uh, I did say Kane. I, I wrote down a few of my favorites. I told you about Jennings. Uh, certainly Chris Middleton one too. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse, uh, Desmond Mason. I wrote down Ramon Sessions. Could be not a nicer guy than Ramon Sessions. Uh, Greg Monroe was always great. Stood at his locker, talked to us, no matter what happened. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, you know, best rookie ever, ever, you know, as far as being quotable and <laughs> cerebral. Uh, Jared Dudley, you know, um, Carlos. I love Carlos Delfino. There are a lot of guys. So uh, obviously Giannis, you know, obviously uh, a lot of guys that uh, Mo Williams was a guy I liked. So, you know, uh, you really meet a lot of interesting people in, in the sports business. And I, I always say, you know, if you like people, that's a great job. <laughs> yeah, no question. No question. It's, it's, it is a lot of fun. And uh, a lot of times for me, still someone that's, that's new in this, uh, I do look around sometimes and think it's, it's pretty cool, the people you get to meet and people you get to talk to. But Charles, uh, I spoke to you before we started and uh, restrictions have slightly eased here. I've got a haircut I've got to get to. First time in a that's few fantastic. months. But, Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Go get that. But uh, I said the same thing to Jim Paskey when, when he was on the show. I, honestly, it's, it's, it's so much fun for me to talk to people that have been around the game for so long and have so many stories and have seen so many great things. So uh, I, I certainly hope that we are covering games again together probably next season, let's say that, and we still have NBA finals in particular to cover at Fireside Forum at some point down the road. But uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and jumping on. That would be fantastic. Kane, thanks so much for thinking of me and uh, calling a retired guy uh, out here. I really appreciate it. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Bucks and another week. Charles, once again, thank you, for ev- thank you for everyone for listening. We will be back next week on Monday. Don't forget to listen to Chad Ford's big board over the weekend. Of course, he had another great podcast with John Hollinger during the week. Keep up to date with all the draft stuff. Again, we don't know when this is going to happen, but uh, the prospects continue to declare. It's an interesting time to see. And as we know, the Bucs have picked 19, so they're going to be in an interesting spot uh, to pick up uh, potentially a guy that can help them moving into the future. But thanks again for listening. Don't forget, send in any of your ideas, your what-ifs to at Bucks. Have yourself a great weekend. We'll catch you next week.